Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, forecast, and success strategies. I'm Michael Ball. Thanks for being with us. Well, our segment today is brought to you by Plum Lending, online commercial real estate loans from $1 to $25 million, right? You have to visit their website. It's getyourplumloan.com. Well, we have an incredible show for you today. We're going to discuss Viewpoint, the 2017 Commercial Real Estate Trends Report put out by Integra Realty Resources. This is an incredible publication, and we have the authors right here. We're going to talk about it. Please welcome my guest, Hugh Kelly. Hugh is principal with Hugh Kelly Real Estate Economics. Hugh, thanks for being with us again. Glad to be here again, Michael. It's we, always a pleasure. And we also always love having you on the show. And Anthony Graziano, he's commercial real estate expert, and I love that title, with Integri, Integra Realty Resources. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. So tell us a little bit, guys, about Viewpoint. What is this report, what it's all about, and why do you guys do it? Sure. So our firm, Integra Realty Resources, we have uh, 59 offices throughout the United States, uh, primarily specializing in commercial real estate appraisal, consulting, litigation, market studies. Uh, we've been publishing this publication now for over 20 years. Uh, so we have time series analysis uh, and, and analytics on investment rates of most commercial real estate asset classes throughout the United States on a 20-year time series. So, so you've been doing it for 20 years? Yeah. Excellent. And how'd you get Hugh Kelly involved? Well, we got Hugh involved last year. Uh, we've been uh, really tracking the analytics at the, at the local level for some time. But the big challenge for us was really to wrap the economic context. And with so many important economic factors happening, um, I've been friends with Hugh for many, many years. He was actually my professor at NYU Shack Institute back in the, in the 90s. Uh, I've known him for a very long time. And we approached him and asked Hugh if he could add the, the macroeconomic flavor that we really wanted to convey in, in the message. And for me, it was a great op opportunity. I had just come off uh, doing the research on emerging trends in real estate for uh, ULI and PwC, and this added another dimension of data uh, for me to look at and to kind of think about in a period of time when the economy was in tremendous flux and is in tremendous flux. So, uh, you know, uh, we're all data guys. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the more. Uh, smart information we can gather from around the country, the better. Well, that's great. Well, and I think everyone is searching for you know, what's going to happen moving forward. We have a lot of things going on. Like you mentioned, we have a new president changing, shaking things up, right? We have interest rates starting to increase, and we've had them so low for so long. <clears throat> so where are we in the economy, and what's that mean for commercial real estate moving forward? Well, I mean, look, we, we hope we have a real estate president, right? At least we have, at least we have a, a president that represents the industry in that regard. But policy is, is one element. Being able to get it done, we think, is another. Um, we certainly see the effects in the first few months of the economy adapting and adjusting to the new president's, uh, at least in initiatives and ideas. The question is, will that hold and can he translate that into policy uh, and signed law? Because ultimately, that's what the, uh, the market will react to is when these policies are implemented and funded. Uh, yet to be seen. It's pretty, still pretty early in the cycle. So the jury's still out, but overall, Trump presidency, good for economy, good for commercial real estate? It's a timing, it's a timing issue. Uh, in the short run, uh, as, as Tony said, if this translates into signed law, uh, uh, lesser regulations, lower taxes, all the things that have been, been part of here, you know, boosts the economy in the, in, the, in the short run. It's a stimulus program. It's very Keynesian, uh, to use economic jargon. Uh, the problem is that it's being implemented at exactly the wrong time. 
the Reagan stimulus uh, uh, when we were in the recessions of the early uh, 1980s, the Bush stimulus uh, after the dot-com bubble bust, the Obama stimulus uh, in 2009 were all well-timed to try and uh, push an economy that was in trouble out of the hole. Uh, now we have stimulative measures uh, at a time when the unemployment rate is below 5 percent and we've been growing about 2 million jobs a year. Uh, uh, that to me means inflation, that to me means uh, asset pricing bubbles, and that to me means rising interest rates on the part of the Fed and accelerating the timing of a recession uh, from uh, 2020 roughly back to 2018 or so. Okay, and to use a word that you used in the report, should we all be Twitterpated by <laughs> what Trump's doing? <laughs> Look, I, you know, my economist tells me right idea, wrong time. But you know, I think the uh, the flip side of the coin is that a lot of this election was also about, um, you know, the non-tier one markets, the non-coastal cities, really reacting to where they felt we were in the economy, and they don't feel the love of the economy. It's been a very uneven economic recovery. It's favored the tier one urban markets. Um, but the majority of the country gets to vote for the president. I think a lot of the frustration is that our Rust Belt cities need uh, and need stimulus. Our core economic manufacturing base needs stimulus. There's a lot of frustration in terms of the segregation of employment and who's really benefiting from this recovery. Um, and of course, we really turned on a dime because right up to the night of the election, I think everybody was planning the real estate strategy heading into 2017 expecting a much different outcome. Right. And the result is that a lot of this activity and a lot of this flipping that's happened since the, since the known outcome of the election has been people really reevaluating re their strategy. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the things that we wrote about as we began to compile this, we wrote in October and November and December re lead leading up to, to 2017. But I do agree with you on this one point, which is um, it needs to be measured stimulus, or we risk uh, pushing ourselves over the edge uh, on uh, on the economy. Well, at least he agrees with you on one point here. <laughs> <laughs> or three or four. <laughs> so uh, we'll have the link to this report, and I read it. It's incredibly well done, gentlemen. I was really you, impressed Bob. with it. Uh, so we'll have the link on the show website. And one of the things that you're, as you talk about the economy, you know, in the past, uh, housing has taken us uh, out of slumps and helped us. And you know, we've kind of had a, a little bit of a slow-moving economy, it seems like, on housing. A lot of I guess, the values have, have come back. But now, but now we have interest rates rising. So what's that going to do to housing? And it's one of the sections you guys have in the report. Sure. I mean, one, one of the very interesting things in this housing recovery is that it's predominantly been driven by multifamily development. You know, we, we look, Integra Realty Resources views multifamily development as a commercial asset class because it's income producing and it's purchased by institutional investors. But we track it in, in, in regards to the entire housing market. What's remarkable is we've been underproducing housing really since the last recession, um, historically over our, over our run rate, national mm -hmm. run rate. But of the production we've had has primarily been in the multifamily sector. The single family new construction market has really yet to come back to any level of, of measurable pace that matters. Um, but the, this, We've now reached a point in the cycle where the residential single-family homes um, are back building. The question is, with rising interest rates, does that slow and, and does that slow the market? I think that probably takes six to nine months to work its way into the market. Yeah, you know, we, need, we need to keep things in context, too. Rates are rising, but they're rising from historically very, very low levels. Yeah. And the affordability of, of housing at a, a, a mortgage rate 
uh, sub six percent is still pretty pretty good. I, I speak that uh, from a guy whose first uh, mortgage was a twelve and a half. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it looks it looks pretty good to me. The interesting thing though is is to to watch how the flood of capital has flown into uh, into multifamily. When you talk about you know, where are we in terms of of, of the economy uh, uh, last year in two thousand sixteen, all of the other property types that were commercially invested in uh, pulled back from their peaks of 2015. And I thought that was a good thing because it reduced the pressure of price inflation somewhat. In the last uh, four or five months, we've begun to see multifamily joining in, uh, in that. In the last three months, uh, multifamily investment volumes are down in the double digits. Uh, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It means that uh, we're not necessarily just having capital chase any product, that there's some discipline and that the underwriting standards are being uh, 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 implemented in, in, in a way, I think, that ultimately will serve us in good stead. Yeah, and uh, we're going to take a short break. When we get back, I want to ask you also about rising interest rates because and their impact on the multifamily world because we've seen rental rates and occupancy gains start to slow down there, and I think that's why some investors are getting less interested. Maybe they think we're overbuilding. But if interest rates rise and more of these first-time homebuyers came by, I'm curious on your opinion there. And then you've got some great information in the report on the velocity of the market and, and the foreign investors. And I want to get to that because one thing I think a lot of our uh, listeners and viewers are curious about, is it time to buy or is it time to sell based on what's going on in the economy, what's going on in the market, what's going on with Trump? So stay with us. We get back. We'll ask the real estate expert and Hugh Kelly about that key question. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Are you in commercial real estate brokers? Check out Apto. Created by and for commercial real estate brokers, Apto is the leading web-based platform for managing relationships, properties, listings, deals, and back office. Visit apto.com slash CRE show. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment's brought to you by Bull Realty Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Visit bullrealty.com. Today we're talking about Viewpoint, the 2017 Commercial Real Estate Trends Report by Integra. And we have Hugh Kelly here with us and Anthony Graziano, the commercial real estate expert. And uh, before the break, we we're talking about some of the impacts of interest rates. We we're talking about multifamily. And I'm curious, you guys, your opinion on the rising interest rates impact on the multifamily market. We're starting to see, as you mentioned before, a little bit of pullback from investors, uh, maybe a little bit of hesitancy even from lenders who've always loved multifamily. Uh, what impact could rising interest rates have on that sector? Sure. So, um, you know, one of the one of the big things that we're seeing in a lot of the markets, obviously, is a tremendous amount of construction. We've been building. We started the multifamily construction um, resurgence probably back in as early as late 2011, early 2012. The real construction started in 13 and 14. 
Um, so you're talking about like a two-month, uh, rather two-year lead time for construction. So what we're closing out now uh, is this construction that started in 13 and 14. Um, the rising interest rate environment is going to do two things. If it presses capitalization rates up, it's going to be harder to get those deals to close. And if rents compress because there's more supply in the market, so rents are going to start to come down as supply enters the market, the institutional investors aren't going to be getting the revenue that they thought they were buying. Uh, we're already starting to see that. I think if you look at our Viewpoints publication, the early, uh, this year we started to see a pullback in the overall um, volume of multifamily deals. And a lot of that com comes back to, you know, do these deals make sense? Number one, where are the capitalization rates, risk-adjusted rates um, sensible? And I think some people have made some decisions on that and started to change markets they're investing in. And then the second thing is, are the rents going to hold up? Um, as, as new product gets delivered, we're going to start to see rents go down in some of these markets, or at least not grow as quickly as they were performing. So uh, this is going to be a lumpy year for multifamily, I think. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, the one, the one thing, though, is that uh, no one who has a breath, no one who has a heartbeat, is surprised by the rising interest rates. We've been waiting for this for three or four years now, and it's been dribbled in uh, by, uh, by the Fed. And finally, it looks like, uh, for macroeconomic reasons, the Fed has said it's time for us to begin to create some space for us uh, above the zero interest rate bound so that the next time that we have a cyclical downturn, this is such a cyclical business, we have some policy levers to, to, uh, uh, to play with. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, yes, rising interest rates, but rising from a very, very low level, uh, one that, uh, you know, anybody who was invested and had a chance to, to make sure they locked in a long-term rate at a fixed, fixed rate has done so, and they still have an opportunity to do that you know, at a comparatively low, uh, low rate. So this is a, this is a, still a good environment for investors. Yeah, and it's also, it's good news, right? Their economy's doing well. Hopefully the occupancy uh, continues to uh, climb. More businesses are, are expanding, more jobs are created. So it all helps out. And it's interesting to note, you talked about cap rates potentially increasing. And we just did an analysis on, on a property for a client the other day. And a 50 basis point increase in cap rate reduced his value by 2.3 million dollars. So, and, and, and I'm going to ask you a general question, and I know it depends on the property and the location and the sector and the price range, but generally speaking, is it time to sell now? Is it time to sell or is it time to buy? You sure. know, we seem to have more buyers in our shop than sellers, but is it, is it time to sell? A lot of people have sold, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, as, as I, I would never encourage clients to sell just because capitalization rates are changing, right? Capitalization rates are always changing depending on a lot of factors, the condition of your property, how recent your capital investments have been, uh, what the long-term run, run rate or perspective of your market is. But um, I think a lot of people have been selling. I think a lot of the activity and a lot of the commercial activity that we've seen over the last two years has been profit-taking. People bought in nine, ten. They layered their value-add investment in, they raised rents, and now they're profit-taking. And, and I yes, think that we, we certainly have seen that um, in, in 14 and 15. Um, and I think you were taking more profits because you also had positive leverage. 
But again, I, you know, I agree with you that the interest rates are priced into the market at this point. They've been priced into the capitalization rates. So I don't think anybody should run to the market and say, I have to sell in the next six months because cap rates are going to go up you know, tremendously and it's going to crater my value. I think that it's, it's been a measured uh, known factor that's been in the market. Quite frankly, yes. since in some quarters, it was surprising the interest rates didn't go up. People were expecting them to go up, and they didn't. They've been going up much more slowly. Um, I think if the Fed holds to its policy of more consistent rate rises this year, you are going to start to see it show up in the capitalization rates. Our publication actually demonstrates that we still haven't seen uh, big swings in the cap rates yet, even with the interest rates rising. So yeah, and, we and, think it's priced into the market already. Yeah, and, that, and the most recent evidence uh, you know, says that cap rates are remaining very solid. Uh, the, 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 the question behind your question is, then what's the reinvestment opportunity for that money? If you take if you take profits, then what are you going to do with those those profits? Buy stocks. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, sure, they're real cheap these days. Right, aren't they? Right. <laughs> yeah, that is a good question. And let's talk about REITs. You mentioned stocks. I mean, as we read Viewpoint and we're looking at, hey, what's mm -hmm. going to happen moving forward? What about REITs? So, you know, REITs, uh, REITs generally hold their, a, a lot of a big cushion of equity within their overall portfolio. So they're not heavily levered. Uh, which always gives them some security. The difficulty with REITs is, is two, two factors. One, the value, the implicit value, the underlying intrinsic value of the REIT stock is driven, driven by cash flow. So if you believe the cash flows are going to take a hit, then you have to look at the pricing of REITs. You also have to look at the segmentation of the REIT market. You have REITs that specialize in particular asset classes. I wouldn't favor a retail REIT at this particular time, right? But the third thing is, is that the benchmark values for the REITs are also based on appraisals. So they're looking at their appreciation and their accretion based on quarterly reviews of where they're going. And the question is, you know, when the market's changing, you have to look at the reliability, underlying reliability of the perspective of those appraisals that are going into the REIT pricing. So I think in terms of net asset values, and the REITs are relatively stable because they're low leverage, but I think it's going to be harder for them to acquire in this environment because as they lose revenues, that's going to hit their stock price, which is going to affect their ability to raise capital. So are, are you saying then, except for retail REITs, that they're safe, but there might not be that much growth moving forward? Is that a fair? Yeah, I think, I think, it's, I think it's going to be harder to see the kind of growth that the REITs have experienced over the past three to four years in the next three to four years, yeah. because I don't think the income growth is going to be there. Because so. when, REIT, when REITs, this generation of REITs uh, emerged in the 1990s, they emerge as growth stocks, and that's because they were able to acquire properties as, at substantially below what their replacement cost was. Once they hit that threshold, they stopped being growth stocks. They started being uh, cash flow stocks. They be became utility stocks. I actually think that a cash flowing stock is going to be very attractive uh, if we believe, uh, uh, from the point of view of the stock market, that we've reached a, a market climax or will hit a market climax very soon. Uh, and then secondly, uh, in, in the real estate markets, we begin to see uh, uh, volumes begin to come off their, their peaks. You know, we've seen a tremendous amount of appreciation. That's why people are taking profits. And now we're going to be in a phase of the cycle where it really is cash flow that's, that's right. And REITs are great at delivering cash flow. By statute, they have to, have to turn yeah. uh, their cash into dividends. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we get back, I'm going to ask you guys about foreign investment in the U.S. It seems like we've had a lot of that. Well, with Trump, is that going to slow down? 
We'll find out next. Stay with us. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Hi, this is Michael Ball. Check out Plum Lending, the $1 to $25 million commercial real estate specialist. Plum offers you speed, certainty, and preferential terms because it's all driven by technology. Visit GetYourPlumLoan.com. That's GetYourPlumLoan.com. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. This segment is brought to you by Apto, your brokerage in the cloud. Visit apto.com. And I'm laughing because last time I said that, I said your brokerage in the crowd. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so, um, and we have Hugh Kelly here with Hugh Kelly Real Estate Economics. And we have Anthony Graziano, the commercial real estate expert, also chairman of Integra Realty Resources. And we're going over Viewpoint, their annual report. Check this out. We'll have the link on the website, com. And let's talk about... Um, foreign investment in U.S. real estate, because it seems like it's been uh, uh, a lot of interest in U.S. because of the safety, because maybe some of the cases the yield. What do you expect moving forward, especially with a Trump presidency? Sure. So um, foreign investment clearly has been a driver. It was one of the things that brought us out of the recession. Uh, one of the big things that brought us out of the recession early. Um, happen to have the benefit of, of practicing. My practice is in Miami. So ground zero for international investment, certainly a front row seat to watch the South American petrodollars migrate to Miami and bring us even out of a condo recession in 2009, 10, 11. Um, Those that moved early in Miami and bought under replacement cost made a fortune in a three or four year period. Um, And, and, you know, that money moved in very well. We're starting to see that international money and we've been seeing that international money have a big impact on the commercial real estate world over the last few years. I would say that it's going to continue to make a big impact. I don't see any change in the world economics that would lead me to believe that there's a safer place to put your money or a better risk-adjusted return to be had than the United States. So when you started this report, you said you started September, October, then when November hit, did you adjust your thinking any on foreign investment in the U.S., or is this the same stride? Does no, I think it's the same stride because a lot of the things that are driving foreign investment in the U.S. didn't have to do with the presidential election. Now, you know, you can make the, the point that, you know, a Trump presidency is going to scare the Mexican economy and that that's going to have mm-hmm. some impact on, on investment from Mexico. Um, it's not as big of a component of foreign investment, though, as coming from Europe, as coming from China, as coming from Canada. So, um, you know, I think if, if there's a direct potential hit that gets taken, it's certainly with the Mexican economy and, and Trump's position on Mexico and the yeah, wall. And is, is the, you should always pay attention because you're going to be surprised. Do you know the Mexican peso is up 15% since inauguration yeah. day? Right. Uh, so the uh, Mexican currency is strengthening, not weakening. Uh, uh, in, no such thing as bad in, publicity, in, right? And as well, <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the thing about foreign investment in, in uh, U.S. real estate is it comes directly and indirectly. And uh, Anthony is, is, is just on target with uh, uh, you know, how directly foreign investment you know, uh, 
help the recovery in real estate and continues to, to sustain values for, for exactly those reasons. But here in the Southeast in particular, you see the indirect influence of, uh, of, of foreign investment in all of the, uh, the investment that happens. You know, here in Atlanta, you have Mercedes moving its headquarters down from New Jersey, right? You've got uh, BMW in, in uh, the Carolinas. You've got uh, other plants uh, in, uh, in Mississippi and Alabama. Uh, you have Toyota building a huge headquarters uh, north of, uh, of Dallas. These are uh, influential in, uh, in shaping the real estate markets that they go into because they're such huge investments. Yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, I think you brought up earlier, Anthony, was retail and, and retail uh, REITs moving forward. And so, this, so there's a lot of news. Obviously, everybody's hearing it. A lot of stores uh, having problems. A lot of uh, retailers, I guess GameStop, I just heard that they're having problems uh, that, you know, why are you going to buy your games in a store when you can just get them online? So what's going on with retail? What do you expect for the retail sector moving forward? Sure. I mean, so look, there's the outlook of the retailers themselves, right, which ultimately becomes, as I said before, the residual to what happens to shopping centers. But we've been going through this transition now for, for some time. We've been in the five to eight year transition of the rise of the Internet and, and, you know, clicks versus bricks and this whole dialogue of how online is going to affect uh, the physical retail real estate. Um, it's, it's the current release of how many retailers are truly struggling and now are forced to take action. It's, it's the big retailers like Sears that we're seeing going through this real upheaval without any way out, really. Um, so the question becomes, you know, what happens to the, where the big retails are and the national retailers are, what's going to happen to those shopping centers? I take a more bullish view on retail going forward. I always tell people, if you come to me and you say, where are the good opportunities? I don't want to look at what everybody's doing today. Those opportunities are already being taken. I want to look at what's going to happen tomorrow. And I think what's going to happen is we're going to have a tenancy problem in retail. I think there's going to be a short on retail. I think people are going to pound. The values in retail are going to get pounded based on how exposed they are to these retailers. But I would suggest to you that retail real estate is some of the most adaptable real estate in the U.S. Um, it generally tends to be single story, which means there's opportunities for redevelopment there. It has a high parking ratio. It generally has very good visibility and the best location in any community. So to the extent that the market beats up on the value of retail assets because of current cash flow or tenancy, um, I say ignore all that, don't worry. Retail in the long term is a great play because the physical real estate is good. Well, great location. That's a good point. Skate where the puck is going. Right. right? Skate where the puck is going. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not mine. <laughs> well, yeah, that's Gretzky, right? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing about we we tend to think so much in silos, right? And so we think office, retail, the, the world has changed. The world has changed. And so now you've got this, it's not just clicks and bricks. Although you begin to see Amazon is now opening its sixth retail physical store. You know, that's a story because they want to be more dominant in store retailing than Walmart. You know, the, the trajectory for Amazon is intentionally to be the first trillion dollar public company. You know, uh, that's not going to be all over the internet. And then, you know, how does that link in with the industrial real estate? How does that look 
uh, the last mile fulfillment centers. And so I think you begin, need to begin to think of something we've classified as industrial real estate as actually being part of the retail chain. Which it always has been, but yeah. I, I don't think it's been formalized. And I will tell you that, that the convergence of artificial intelligence and big data are going to make that more so. And here's the biggest play right now in Amazon. Amazon's big play and the long-term big play is inventory management, right? The biggest overhead in retailers besides their real estate is excess inventory and wasted or mispriced inventory. A lot of that ties back to their warehouse distribution systems. But understanding consumer behavior, being able to anticipate what consumers want, when they want it, when the deals and the sales, how much of it they want, is going to be an integral part of the supply chain. And so I think it all ties together uh, over the next five years as, as the technology gets better and as the big companies invest in that understanding sure. of consumers. And, and look, at, look at what Walmart is advertising. They're advertising that they're leading a resurgent manufacturing in the country. That's their advertising program. You know, so there you have the link going in the other direction yeah. from the stores, you know, back to the industrial sector. And now right. they're servicing the third party logistics market as well as their own internal logistics. Right. And you, you, you even have, you know, things like, you know, as we talk about augmented reality and artificial in, intelligence, you know, the rise of, of the autonomous vehicle. Right. What is every car manufacturer selling on the TV commercials today? How much fun is it to drive? <laughs> right? Yeah. So, that's, so that's what they, you know, so I think you have to, I'm a big believer that you have to look not just in your silo, but to look at the wider socioeconomic environment in which, in which real estate exists. Yeah. I see lots of things there that uh, are positively bullish for, uh, uh, for real estate. If for no other reason that we're going to be adding uh, uh, another 42 or 45 million people in the United States in the next 20 years. You know, that's a lot of shoppers. Right. Well, I made the point, you know, I wrote an article for the Miami Herald, uh, I guess about two months ago, about the future of retail and where I saw the opportunities in retail. Besides the investing opportunities in retail, let's talk about the management. What are the near-term opportunities for those that hold retail? And, and I made the point that we will always need retail. We need a place to gather. As human beings, we mm -hmm. expect to be able to get together. Uh, my wife is, is a competitive, what I call a predatory uh, retail shopper, right? She wants, <laughs> she goes in to any TJX branded store to find the best deal on the best, you know, that she can find. Um, but there is a social need for us to be together. So retail will always be there. I think it'll always have a place. But the key is you're, you're seeing a transition more with entertainment. A bigger part of, a, of the retail experience is how can I hold the consumer for a three to four hour period? You know, historically, mm -hmm. we used to do that with, uh, with the movie theaters. We did that then by introducing Ooh. the anchors. Then we did food. So the question really becomes, what are the entertainment options that we can provide? Because ultimately, retail has to service the consumer that wants to spend a half a day going somewhere and doing something. Shopping's a component of that, but there needs to be a, a, an entertainment element as well. Yeah, very good points. I think uh, retail is not going away. Uh, it is changing, right. though, and it's going to be interesting to see what's moving forward and, and what consumers want. I think one of the things consumers of this show want to know is about the debt market. I think, you know, the way of the debt market uh, will obviously control the aspect of values, acquisitions, dispositions, uh, how you manage your property. So 
Stay with us. We'll take a short break. we get back. We're going to look at uh, CNBS. We're going to look at the banks. We're going to look at the changes in regulations and how that may impact you and your real estate and your debt moving forward. Stay with us. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Build Out, the best all-in-one marketing tool for your brokerage. Learn how you can create marketing materials instantly and streamline your property listings process. Visit buildout.com. Excelligen, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by Excelligent, building data everywhere. Visit Excelligent.com. And we're talking about Viewpoint, the 2017 real estate forecast report put out by Integra. And we have the chairman here, Anthony Graziano, and we have Mr. Hugh Kelly, principal with Hugh Kelly Real Estate. And gentlemen, I think one of the things that really does impact commercial real estate world in a big way is the debt, the mortgages, the financing, the capital stack. We have some discussions about deregulation to maybe make it easier for us to get funding. And it seemed like in the fourth quarter, uh, financing became a little bit tougher because of some of these regulations. What do you expect moving forward? Um, a couple of different things. I think, you know, it's going to take a long time to, to change Dodd-Frank. I mean, the, the concept that we're just going to unravel that regulate, regulatory control on a very short period of time is probably not realistic. We can't just tweet it out. No, I don't think no. we're going to tweet it out and just change it on the fly. Um, but, you know, the other thing is, is that when you look at how much lending is being done by which institutions, you know, the, the apartment market has been primarily supported by, you know, HUD and GSA-backed money. Um, but the, the balance is really the, the balance of the lending in the market over the last three to four years has been the big banks. Um, so those that they, they, get, they get hit up and, and bump up against capital requirements, which then pushes opportunities down to the midsize and smaller commercial uh, banks. But those are sort of less, in a, they're in a less position to watch their risk. And those are the ones that we really have to, to keep an eye on risk. I think in terms of availability of capital, we spend the rest of the year with plenty of capital available at, again, historically low interest rates. The difficulty is, you know, we have, we're going to have to watch appraisals and make sure that the appraisals are being done with good care and due diligence. Um, and we should be scrutinizing more the forecast of values based on new construction and based on other risks that may be present in some of the markets. So it's going to be really important, I think, this year to be properly measuring risk. And that's going to be what's hard at the micro level, but when you get up into the macro level of the banks, risk measurement is going to be very, very important. The CMBS market has not really come back in force. Um, the regulations on counterparty risk there really continue to hold back the volume of the CMBS market. Um, but I think you know they're playing a big. They're back to a certain extent playing a, a big role in large-scale project development. Uh, but the CMBS market, I think, is still nascent from what it what it historically has been. Yeah, and there are other players as well. You know, uh, of course, you've got the big life companies, mm -hmm. which. Uh, uh, have the ability because they've got, you know, much more, uh, many more borrowers, potential borrowers, and they have money to lend, uh, so they can be very, very careful about their underwriting standards and have, have been. Uh, you have uh, though uh, uh, foreign capital 
than foreign debt capital that's uh, in their private debt funds that, that are there. And on the bank side, you know, I, I watch very, very carefully uh, the Fed's quarterly senior lender survey. And I'm starting to, to see now it's off a period of, of extreme caution, but a little bit loosening and underwriting standards, a little bit more willingness for the banks, particularly uh, you know, in the regional and, and, and community bank space to uh, uh, to work with borrowers to to do uh, to do deals, and uh, that's fine as long as the market is rising. Uh, but that's where risk comes back to bite you once the market turns down. Yeah, I hope that we can maintain discipline. I think that you know the discipline against the banking lobby is going to be a very important. This is going to be an important turning point over the next 12 to 18 months to continue to to make sure that we exercise discipline in the banking system. Um, and the tendency is, you know, you want to get more money out the door. That's how the banks are going to be making money. As interest rates rise, it's going to be harder to run a profitable bank. So you're going to attempt to want to compensate by increasing your lending and, and, and being able to change those ratios. Um, so the banks are going to ask for different capital ratio calculations. They're going to ask for reductions in, in tier one capital and the balance of what they can lend versus what they have in deposits. And I'm hopeful that the market demonstrates discipline and then that we demand discipline of our banks. And, and the board of governors at the Fed. Yes. Uh, Who are already signaling that there may be issues of over lending and overheating yes. in the lending. Yes. So, so you know, there are a lot of players in this space. Uh, uh, Right now, we're in a, in a good spot. The commercial real estate market is healthy. Uh, values, I think, are not overblown. Uh, uh, the market, in terms of, of transaction volume, has pulled back, uh, uh, signaling that the capital is not just willy-nilly chasing deals. I think these are all uh, good signs. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, for, the, for the year ahead, I think we can maintain that. My issue is what happens when we run out of economic momentum. Is this an environment, gentlemen, where private equity gets more involved in mortgages, uh, crowdfunding, and, and other investors that look at the safety of providing the debt for these properties so they're not at the top of the capital stack as an investor? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not a big crowdfunding proponent. Uh, uh, to me, in a, in a time when you have abundant capital, uh, that can be funded through traditional sources. What's left for the crowd funders is the leftovers. And so you have the least sophisticated investors investing in the riskiest uh, of, of prospects. That is going to be a very, very dangerous uh, uh, situation. And I, I really believe that, uh, again, when the cycle inevitably turns, it's those guys that are going to be hauled before Congress to explain why they put money uh, into projects where no reputable lender would. Wow, you know, there's five crowdfunding companies that have just called for you to be on their board. I just hear them ringing you now. <laughs> <laughs> you know. let, me, let me say this though, you know, we are starting to see in the private capital, certainly in the home office money, uh, uh, you know, in South Florida and generally throughout the United States, the home office money is migrating into mezzanine debt right now. They see mm -hmm. an opportunity on the mezzanine side to convert, they were traditionally acting as equity, the home office, uh, private equity from foreign capital and, and domestic, um, they're now shifting to mezzanine. And to me, that signals, uh, number one, a reduction in the loan-to-value ratios from conventional sources, so mezzanine is required. But even at, at their injection into the stack is basically a signal that there's a spread that has to be filled, number one, 
And number two, that there's a debt play there. There's an opportunity to be in the debt position um, to possibly control the assets into the future. So yeah. Yeah. It's, a, uh, it's an interesting thing because there are different ways of playing in the middle of the capital stack there. And from the point of view of senior lenders, you would rather see not Mez debt in there, you would rather see preferred equity in there. Right. And actually, from the point of view of a uh, uh, of, an, of an investor, of an investor, you'd rather have the, the guarantees that come with a preferred equity position than the secondary debt position. I would mm -hmm. think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's some good opportunities, and you mentioned that you want to be careful forecasting values, and so. My question for you is, if you're forecasting value and you're looking at a, a five-year hold today of an acquisition, um, and I know it, it, you don't have a crystal ball, but... I do have a crystal ball. You do have a I crystal, do have a crystal ball. ball. Okay, you're a commercial real estate expert. So what are you putting in for an exit cap rate uh, five years from now, if, you, if you're going in cap rate at 6%, let's say, for an example, um, and you're going to have interest rate increases. Now, hopefully you've got, and an, an, an I guess we know we'll have some income increases, right, in the sure. property. It sure. may offset the downturn, but what are you using for exit cap rates five years from now? Sure. I, that's a great question. It's a little bit technical, but I'll give you a couple, a couple of thoughts on that. Um, one of the difficulties is I can forecast and, and look and see where the market's coming in terms of new supply. The important thing is to correlate that to what just happened over the last three or four years. And I think what happens generally in the appraisal business is that the pressure from the lenders and the borrowers and all the people that have an input during the appraisal process, they want to look at what happened yesterday when it's convenient to them. So the <laughs> rent has been growing four, five, six percent over the last three or four years. They want you to say, well, rent's growing faster than three percent, so we want the forward projections to look like what's been happening. That's what the broker said. That's what the broker told me. <laughs> uh, that's how we bought it. That's the pro forma we bought it on. Yeah. Uh, we think the spread on the exit capitalization rate is you know, too high. You're using 75 basis point spread, and we only pro forma a 25 basis point spread. And you say, well, okay, but what is 10 years? Let's go forward 10 years, and let's think about the building being 10 years older. It's going to need capital and so forth. What we're seeing in the market, though, is that the institutional market is being fairly um, aggressive still on exit capitalization rates, maybe a 25 to 50 basis point spread over right now what we know are historically low cap rates. Wow. They're still building that into their pro forma on the exit. 50% generally of the net present value is in that reversionary calculation. So if you are too conservative on that, you could be overpaying for an asset today. My bigger concern, though, is in the cash flow, is when you start growing cash flow, near-term cash flow, and compounding that at 35 4% plus, plus, plus. That ultimately leads to a higher NOI estimate at reversion that you're then capitalizing at too low of a number. And, and the, 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 the other factor in that right, is as you're discounting that, what's your discount rate? Right. You know, so if you are aggressive on all of those other assumptions, but you manage that, that enthusiasm Right, by with a measured idea with, of, with, your, of with, your rate with, of return and with, discount rate. That's, you know, then I think you're okay. Then I think you're okay. But if you have spectacularly optimistic assumptions, <laughs> and then you take a discount rate and you know a, a, apply, you know, treasure treasuries plus 100 basis points, you're you're dead. You're okay. going to be losing money. So I'm a broker. So what do you tell me that I should say to an investor who's doing? Uh, if you're hearing some institutional investors using a 50 basis point increase in cap rate for five years from now, when I tell my investor that, and he says, Michael, no way. Interest rates might be two, 
two, at least two, three percent higher, possibly. Mm -hmm. What do you mean a fifty basis point increase in cap rate? Are you saying it should be higher? I, I would think so. Yeah, yeah. you would. <laughs> yeah, you would. But the market's not pricing it that way. I can okay. tell you that right now. And that's you know that's obviously but part. No of one the has a gun to your head saying you have to do that deal. Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. But if you're in, but if you're in the market to put, if you're in the market to buy, and you're not buying because everybody, you know, if you continue to lose deals, deal after deal, you're eventually going to follow the herd. You're going to lower yeah. those numbers. But that that goes back to 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 the collapse of the bubble, right? Mm -hmm. As long as the music's playing, I have to stay in the dance. Right. No, you don't. The smart money, Zell, you know, let's take equity uh, equity office, got out before the dance, the music stopped. Yeah. And that was the smartest move in the last, last cycle. Yeah, so it goes back to my earlier question, is it time to, to buy or time to sell? Well, gentlemen, if you will, I'll leave us a parting tip for our viewers and our listeners looking forward to 17 and 18 um, that uh, you could give them. Uh, I'm gonna go back to your Gretzky quote, you know, look at where the puck's going. Mm -hmm. Be where the puck's going to be. Don't be mm -hmm. where it is today. Uh, I think that if you look Ultimately, at the markets that have strong employment growth, uh, the states that have strong population growth, we identified in our publication, you know, Florida, Seattle, Oregon, Colorado, um, these markets have strong, very strong population growth, um, that that's going to be the area where real estate will perform. And I think, as Hugh mentioned before, you look at where the strong economic opportunities are in terms of job growth, and you focus on those markets as core. Um, and understand that the tier one markets now have been on a, a bit of a bull run for the last four or five years. So get very serious about your exit cap rate strategies in tier one markets. I think there's still a lot of opportunity, though, in the tier two markets. Good tip. Yeah. yeah. Don't extrapolate. Uh, this, uh, this industry does not move in straight lines. Uh, and uh, you have to be ready for change. Uh, because if you're not ready for change, you're going to be begging for change. <laughs> There's only one constant in this world. That's change, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, gentlemen, thanks for joining us. We appreciate your insight. Great report. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate Thank the you, time. Michael. Yeah, and we'll have a link to the report uh, on our website at commercialrealestateshow.com. Uh, and when you get there, just look for the Viewpoint Show. We'll have the link right there. And thanks for joining us on the radio stations, on iTunes, on Podomatic, on YouTube, on the show website. We really appreciate you being with us. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions, Excelligent, Building Data Everywhere, Plum Lending, Online Commercial Real Estate Loans, Get Valuate, Online Investment Analysis, Apto, Your Entire Brokerage in the Cloud, and Build Out, the marketing tool for your brokerage.